Okay. Um, the eschatology of the church. I tried to introduce that subject last night just to suffice it to say that the church comes, the church as we understand the church on earth, the era, the age, dispensation of the church comes to an end. It doesn't go forever like it is right now. I told you last night that the word church is not seen in the Revelation after chapter 3. The church becomes the bride, and the bride, of course, references the raptured, resurrected, glorified church. And the church returns with Christ in glory then in the Revelation 19 along with angels. So how can we identify the times in the time of the church? So that's what we're going to look at, the eschatology of the church because the Bible teaches us how to. We're going to see that right here. The church will know when we are winding down, when we see certain things and we'll see certain prevailing attitudes uh, and uh, types of uh, so-called teaching and, and, and all. And Paul ad identifies these in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, and 2 Timothy. And that's what we're going to be looking at various scriptures Right now, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons. Okay. Um, to, you, you see, I have it up there. The, I have the translation after the Greek word. And you see the word times. Let me get my finger right there. Right there. How about that? Well, there's the word Chronon, chronon, chronology, chronograph, right? Okay, that's where we get those, that's the basis and the roots of those words, the root of those words. That means, that means the duration of time as it progresses. Then there's another word here, chiron, for epochs or seasons. This is, this is the right moment, the, 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 the culminating moment. So here's what he's saying. If we study the Bible and just use our common sense, we'll see where we are along the way and we will begin to realize that specific things that have never been seen before in the church are, are beginning to occur and we will know those things. He taught the Thessalonians about that because he says here, now concerning the times and seasons or the epoch moments, brothers, you have no need to be written. I don't need to tell you about this again. For you yourselves know exactly that the day of the Lord comes in this manner as a thief in the night. Generally speaking, when the church is caught up and called away, 
the general attitude of the world will be pretty much everything seems to be going like it ought to be going, you know. The world doesn't get as shocked over cultural paradigms that are shifting like the church does. The world just says, oh, well, you know, if that's the way they want to live, that's their if that's if that's the way it is. And they're, they're asleep. Paul calls them the, being asleep. It's, and you'll notice the contrast here between us and them. Paul uses those, uh, uses those uh, contrasts here. Us, we, of course, is the church. Those and them, that's, that's the world. Those are unbelievers. So he says here, you yourselves know exactly that the Lord comes in this man as a thief in the night. For when they might say peace and f security or firmness or reliability, that word, uh, it means, you know, things, uh, the world will be saying, oh, things are okay, you know, things are pretty stable. Uh, things are, are, are reliably moving. We don't see any reason for the world to fall apart. On the other hand, however, the church, based on a firm belief in the Word of God, will see the world falling apart. Now, the world won't see itself falling apart. The church will see the world falling apart. That's what he's talking about here. So they're going to say, everything's okay. It's, it's peace and safety and reliability and stability. Everything's going like, you know, it's, what, what's the big deal? Why are you so upset? They say that. Then suddenly, destruction or ruin will come upon them. Okay, that's unbelievers, not believers. Will come upon them as labor pains to her having a child in the womb, and they will not in any way escape. Just prior to this, Paul talks about uh, the coming of the Lord. The dead in Christ be raised first. Those of us who are alive and remain be caught up. That word caught up is the word that the doctrine of the rapture is built upon. Caught up. Harpazo is the is a root of the word, a form of the word. And it means to be seized from impending danger. Now the word rapture comes from the Latin Vulgate. The Latin is the first translation out of the Greek. It was translated for the Roman church. That was the Roman language. So the first translation was the Latin Vulgate. And the word harpazo becomes rapere or from rapto, which means rap. We get our word rapture from that. So if anybody ever tells you, hey, the word rapture ain't in the Bible, well, that's not really true. It is. Uh, you just need to shut up if you don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> um, so destruction comes upon them because they think the world is stable. They think the world is just moving along like it's supposed to. You know, okay, we're not like we were 500 years ago. We're not like we were 100 years ago, but it's okay. We've morphed into this and we're just, you know, this is just the way things are. And that's kind of how the, the way things, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of shocked at the culture the world is turning to. Um, it's a shocking thing uh, where the basic of, basis of creation, basic 
uh, elements of creation, such as gender. It's just, just a, you know, you can stand there, a, a fellow stands there like a man. His DNA says he's a man. Everything about him says he's a man. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm a woman. And the world goes along with that. That's crazy. Um, or vice versa with women and men and, and all. Um, now, that to me is a, a cultural shock. That's, uh, you know, the Bible says male and female created he them. Right? So we believe the Bible. And that's what the Bible says. The world doesn't care. The world is, the Bible has become very insignificant. I mean, almost to the point of mockery and, and laughability to the world. The Bible, Word of God. So believers know that this world is going to get broken into just like a thief in the night. The church will know the, how the times have progressed and how the epochs, the, how the right moment, the world is ripe for the right moment. The church is, is not going to be kept in the dark, and we're going to see that here. They will not in any way escape what's going to happen to them. They're going to be plunged into tribulation. Seven years of tribulation. Awful, awful, awful tribulation. That's the wrath, the day of the Lord. That's the wrath of God coming down upon the world at the close of the consummation of the age. And the church is not destined for wrath. We're not destined for that. Paul says that in his writings to the Thessalonians. Now look at verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Let me tell you something. The last place a guy wants to break into while I'm at home is my house. He's, I'm not going to be surprised. He might get surprised, but it's not going to surprise me. I'm ready for him, you know? Uh, the church is ready for this surprise if you believe the Bible. If you study the Bible, stick to the Bible, that day will not overtake you as a thief. You're not going to be in the dumb shape that the world is in because you, you believe absolute truth. You understand absolute truth. You understand the sovereignty of God and God's purpose and plan will not be stopped. Doesn't matter what the world thinks. Doesn't matter. It won't overtake you as a thief. For you all, you can tell Paul is a southerner. For, that's how it's trying. For you all are sons of light and sons of day. God established the difference between light and darkness at the creation before, before there was ever the sun or the moon or anything. There was light. And in my view, when God said, and, God saw, and the Bible says God saw the light, that it was good. And God separated light from darkness. So God has established, in my view, light and darkness, day and night, 
in a spiritual sense. It doesn't matter if the world disagrees with God's definition of righteousness. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God's already separated the two. And then there will be final the great separation at the close of everything. You are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then we should not sleep as others, but we should watch and be sober. For those sleeping sleep by night and those becoming drunk get drunk by night. Those, the people of the night, the people of darkness, they are very careless. They're getting, they're getting drunk, not in the sense that they go out and hit the bars all night long, but in the sense that they are drinking the cup of foolishness to their own demise. They are just moving along with the world which of course the world system is controlled by the God of this age, by the God of this world, namely Satan. People who have no spiritual sensitivity cannot see evil. They just don't see it. They're spiritually dead. They're dead in sin. And so the world has its own kind of culture and agenda and the world just doesn't get shocked by sin. As a matter of fact, the world enjoys sin. So they are asleep. They are not awake. They're not keen to what's happening in the world. And they're very careless. They get drunk by the night in which they live. Okay. But we are not that way. But we being of the day should be sober. Now, let me tell you what that, okay, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and the helmet of the hope of salvation, because God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one having died for us, so that whether we might watch or whether we might sleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as also you are doing. Now let's look at, let's break this down. You should be sober. You should be clothed. He, he uses the analogy here of a, of a Roman soldier, breastplate, helmet, and so forth. And the church, he says, should be aware we're not, we're not lulled into drunkenness by, by the morphing of culture into a darker and darker age. That's not, that's not something that fools us at all because the Word of God has never changed. How are we sober? Well, we have a breastplate of faith and love. Faith is that we believe. Now you go on down here, you'll see that the basis of the whole thing is salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. 
Our hope is in Christ. Our message is Christ. We're nothing without Christ. We're unsaved without Christ. We cannot live in eternity without Christ. We cannot go to heaven without Christ. The grave is a dreadful thing without Christ. So Christ is the foundation of our message. Everything that we do. Actually, I mean, Jesus is seen from the Revelation, from Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation 22-21. Jesus is on every page of this thing, and you can see him if you look for him. You have to look for him. In my 40-whatever years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes all-day conferences or seminars at, at the churches where I pastor, I've preached through every book of the Bible twice. I finished the second time through since I came to Shiloh. So I'm working on my third time through. Now, I probably won't ever make it. But it, uh, the first time through, all I could see was the inerrancy of Scripture. I think I've said this to you before. I thought, you know, I would, I would even, where people, you'd read commentaries and journals and some of these so-called scholars call into question something. And if you research it out, you'll see, no, this is, this is, we just talked about something where they said, lo and behold, this Bible character actually lived. They've uncovered something somewhere. Well, I came to realize what I already believed, that the Bible was absolutely infallible, that there was no mistake in the Bible. There's no contradiction in the Bible if you just study it in its original language. There's no contradiction from, from one place to another. It has this smooth, wonderful flow. Second time I preached through the Bible, all I could see was Christ in every passage all the way through. As I completed that second time through, I began to see not only Christ, but how absolutely sovereign God is in his, in his dealing with man. In, well, just he's God. He's sovereign. Nothing fools him. Nothing is at chance with him. And that has only become more, more, more firm in my studies as I have moved into the third time through uh, preaching through the Bible, the sovereignty of God. Here's, here's, here's the point that I would make. Christ is all and in all. He is the author and completer of our faith, according to Hebrews. Uh, he is the basis of everything that we present to the world. The world has no hope apart from Christ. In Adam, all die. Everybody in the world is in Adam. The only way that you can be in Christ is to be born again. You must be born again, Jesus said. Our great message to this world is that Jesus saves. He died to save us. He lives to keep us. He's coming again for us. I am secure in Christ because he has ascended into heaven where he pleads my case and he intercedes for me. I belong to him. I'm his. He's mine. And he takes care of me. So I know that in, in, in a way only understood and planned for by God 
and purposed by God, Charles Owens went to the cross in the heart and person of Jesus Christ. Everything that's ever wrong with me, ever, everything, things that I ain't even done yet, it all went to the cross with Christ. He carried it there and he put it away. And the great son of God in those hours on the cross suffered for me and took what I, as just someone who's just a creature, a creation of God, it would take me all of eternity to suffer for that. But because he's so great, he could suffer for it just in that time. And he put it away. And all the suffering for the guilt and all the punishment for everything that I've ever done or will do that, of course, is against God, my depraved nature, the lawlessness of my life, just doing things I didn't even know that I did that was wrong. Christ took it all, put it away. Now I'm his and heaven cannot help but be reminded that my guilt and my sin have been paid for. I've been redeemed. I'm redeemed. It's been paid for. I'm paid out. Uh, and then he's coming and he's going to, death may come to me, may not, may come to me. I may not be among those who are raptured, but death, the sting of it has been removed. I'm in Christ. So, you know, where I am, there you shall be also, Jesus said. I just, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, all of that is because of Christ. Christ took it upon himself. Now, will God accept the payment of Jesus for my sin and for the sins of his own? Will he accept the payment? Is he dying on the cross, being buried in a grave, sealed in a tomb? Is that legal tender for the Father to accept the payment? You know, you, 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 can't, you can't take a, uh, generally speaking, you can't take foreign money and, and go into somewhere and, and buy something. They're not prepared. They're, it's not legal tender to them. You have to take a dollar or something, some kind of American money. All of my works, all of my behavior, all of my attempts to do good things, those are not legal tender. That's foreign money to God. The only thing that's legal tender is Christ. So Paul writes in Romans, moving into from chapter 3 into chapter 4, how he, he, his transgressions paid for our sin and he was raised for our justification. So he made the payment on the cross. It was deposited into the tomb. If God accepts the payment, he will bring Christ out of the tomb. God accepted the payment. So I'm taken care of. It's been paid for. This is the message of the church. Now, I can't make, we're to preach that message to everybody because we don't know who God will call to himself. He's sovereign. We're not. Our job is to preach it everywhere and to teach people about Jesus and what it means. Uh, every Christian ought to bless God because Christians understand what it means to have peace with God through Christ, to be reconciled in Christ, uh, to have atonement for sin, that there was a vicarious offering in the person of Christ, 
that we have been redeemed, a payment that was acceptable has been made, and we have been redeemed, and we've been justified, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. We've been justified, and we have been declared righteous because God has accepted what Christ did in our behalf. Well, Christians ought to understand these basic rudiments of salvation. I don't know if people really do or not. I mean, I don't know what some people think of when they, when they think they're, they're coming to Christ or becoming a Christian. But, but this is life to us. This is everything to us. And this is our message. And then when we're saved, we're discipled so that we can more responsibly live in this world. Otherwise, this world will dupe us and deceive us and we won't have a testimony and, and, uh, and we, won't, we won't be as strong of a, of a person in Christ as we ought to be. So this is, this is who we are. We're not destined for wrath, but we're in Christ Jesus, the one having died for us so that we can live together with him. Now, this great message is the message that we are to proclaim to one another and to the world, encourage one another and build up one another just as also you are doing, he says here. Um, so, we're, I'm, I'm not going, tonight probably will be our longest session. And tomorrow's session will be fairly lengthy as we bring it all to a close, but I, I have to try to keep it in its context. Uh, this may be our shortest session that we'll have this morning. But we, we keep in mind the subject matter, the doctrine of last things for the church. And we're going to be talking about doctrines of demons. We're going to be talking about how in the latter days, Difficult times are going to come to the church. Perilous times, he says, difficult times. We're going to study those things. That Paul, in continuing in Thessalonians, but also in Timothy, Paul identifies these things that, that can be made so clear to us, and we, and we know. We just study it. We just read the Bible, look at it, and this is what we know, okay? This is what, this is what we understand. When we see these things creeping into the church, we know that the, now not everybody agrees with me that there are seven eras of history in the church. That's okay. You can apologize to me at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, you have a right to be wrong. Uh, no, not, every, not everybody, but you do, have to, you do have to admit that Laodicea was a bad church. And if, if it is the final era of the history of the church, then uh, we put all this stuff together and we, you know, as a church, we can say we're just slipping right into this time. And I'll tell you, I've talked to people, uh, I could, I've talked to people that y'all know that just don't believe the Bible in certain places. I had one guy tell me when we were debating a particular issue we weren't debating. We were just talking. Well, we were debating. <laughs> I pointed out something that the Bible says, and he says, but it only says that once in the Bible. 
<laughs> I said, how many times has God had to say something? Uh, for it to be true. And the response was, well, you know, it'd help a little bit if it was said more than once. Well, okay, that's the world we live in. You got to be careful saying stuff like that. You got to be careful questioning the Word of God in the slightest and least way. You're, you're going to follow a path that's not going to be a pleasant path that if God gives you a life long enough and gives you children, your children, your children are going to be in a mess. Uh, and they're not going to help. You know, W.A. Criswell used to define such people as half infidels. He said, they believe that the Bible is inspired in spots and they're inspired to pick out the spots. <laughs> well, of course, that's a lie. That's just, you know, the whole counsel of God is what we're to teach and to preach. Jesus said not one, not one stroke of the pen or the slightest mark. And he was speaking of Hebrew, how you write Hebrew, a yod, uh, jot, it's said in King James. Jot comes from yod, and a yod is a, is a Hebrew letter that is a, well, it's according to what it follows, but it's like a Y, sometimes pronounced like a short I, E, like that, E. Anyway, well, that doesn't matter. Not one little thing of the scriptures is insignificant. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that. That didn't come from me. Not, there's nothing. And then Paul said, all of it is God-breathed. All of it. This is why, this is why it is my passion for the church to listen to the Word of God. It is my passion. I don't care at what level. I'm so pleased with our children's department because they're, they're focusing on a curriculum from Answers in Genesis. That's some of the greatest teaching for kids I, I can think of. Um, and I'll put a plug in for that place. up. If you've never been to the Creation Museum or to the Ark Encounter, you're denying yourself a blessing. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. Um, and and, and I, I can't wait to go again. It's just wonderful. Um, so, so, uh, so pleased with that. So, so pleased. You know, uh, Jesse is a, he's a seminary student, very serious student of the Word of God, um, and uh, getting deeper and deeper uh, with every passing week. So, so pleased with, uh, with, his, with his focus on the Word of God. Uh, and this is where I want, wherever I am, Shiloh, we want to be focused on the Word of God. We don't want the Bible. To, we don't want. We don't want the Bible to be foreign to us, and we don't want the world to fool us. Uh, we want to stand on the foundation, um, and we, we do our best for for who we are and what we have in the day in which we live. And I'm not saying that there are other churches who don't do that. I'm sure there are, but I can't speak for them. I can only speak for Shiloh. And these things, from top to bottom, inside out, are of utter ultimate importance to me that we are sober that we understand 
what the Bible says, that we go through that thing the way it was given to us. We don't cherry pick our little favorite themes and, and, and tickle ears. Uh, that's an easy thing to do, you know. Every, every preacher has his, has his uh, favorite little things that he likes to get a lot of amens and get people all stirred up about, but it's not always just that. You have to go through all of it if you're going to attend to the whole counsel of God and accurately teach the word of truth. Um, that, that, and you don't leave anything out. You just, who are we to leave anything out? Who are we to say that one stroke of the pen is not important? We can't, we're not, we can't say that. That's, that's awful to say. Anyway, our focus continues to be the doctrine of last things for the church. And, and I'm moved to present a study like this because every indication, I'm not a, a time-setter or anything, but every indication is that we are slipping into that era. We are, we are morphing into that age. And later on, we're going to talk about how such the world, that there will be such strong de delusion in the world. If you don't have Christ, you are no match for Satan and his demons. You are no match for them. The Bible says that Satan was created perfect in wisdom. Ezekiel chapter 28. Perfect in wisdom and in beauty. He appears as a, as a minister of light, you know, the Bible says. He, look, he can look so good. He's not going to come with that pointy chin and horns and he's something spooky and frightening. He's not going to come at you like that. It's going to be something that he's going to try to convince you. This is, yea, hath God said. That's his first trick and he's never lost track of it. He's going to come at the world in ways that seem so loving and beautiful and wonderful. Why can't we just get along? Well, you know, The further along we go, the more we're going to have to realize how important Christian fellowship is. A lot of people, maybe I ought to do a thing on, on what the Bible, on biblical love. So many people misinterpret love. Did you know your first responsibility of love as a Christian is a, a man for his husband, uh, for his husband, for his wife? Uh, now I want you to know the devil jumped in my mouth and in my mouth. His first love is for his wife and his kids, of course. And then as brethren, as, as a congregation, our first love is for one another. The world comes after that. And I, I have seen in practically every church I've ever been in where people will forsake the love of the brethren and try to spend all of this time and behavior loving the world that they don't know when they're not really showing love to the brethren whom they do know. You got to learn because we're stronger when we're together. Amen. And when we feel loved and wanted and appreciated in church, that strengthens us in what we can do in reaching out to the world. If we don't have that, then we're weakened uh, and and. Oh, oh, there's there's another church that we could talk about of the seven that was a, I call it 
the church in the intensive care unit. It was a it was a church on a bed of sickness, uh, and and. The Lord is like the doctor, and the Lord is saying, we have to strengthen that which remains. In other words, we just got to keep you stable where you are uh, because what you got yourself into is nearly killed you, you know. Um, we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be that church. Uh, we want to be like Philadelphia. We want to identify the open doors, and we want to pray for the open doors. And then when the time for the open door is over and the door is shut, we want to be caught away to be kept from the hour of trial as Jesus has promised. Philadelphia, you know what that means, brotherly love. That's what the word means, Philadelphia, uh, brotherly love. Okay, I'm going to stop there and uh, we'll pick up the next part of our subject matter, God willing, tonight uh, at 8 o'clock. So let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for your perfect word. Oh, God. Help us in these last days to please you and to do what we're supposed to do and to have a biblical worldview on everything that we won't be fooled, that we might be, not fall into delusion that is so strong in the world and growing, it seems, every day. Bless us and help us. And finally, Lord, we pray that you'll come for us. In Jesus' name, amen.